0: all of a sudden you can ask this whole corpus of information these incredibly powerful questions is an incredible way of thinking about how the world will be navigated in the future and so really thinking about how we create the interfaces and how we create the experience for the end user if you asked anyone well how did you do structured search they'd be like i don't know what you mean really taking us a leap forward we're in a really really exciting space when we kind of launch this uh, the way that we'll navigate that data in the future
1: Everyone and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tioma Hanson Drury, Chief Product Officer at MENA Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors, getting their inside stories. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. We are happy to have you on another episode of For the Love of Product, and I'm excited to be joined today by Ben Jones. Uh, Ben Jones is the former chief product officer, newly appointed chief creative and innovation officer at Primer. For those of you who are not familiar with what Primer does, it is a machine learning and natural language processing organization. It basically lets organizations quickly explore and utilize the world's exponentially growing sources of text-based information. That means really taking best-in-class machine intelligence solutions to help companies answer complex questions in real time with human-level precision. We are going to get into the details on that, but things that are interesting is definitely provides an industrial-grade NLP um, application for government agencies, financial institutions, Fortune 50 companies, and many other organizations. If we're lucky, Ben's going to tell us a little bit about the covert stuff, but we don't know that we'll get there. Um, he, previous to this, was the Global Chief Technology Officer at AKQA, a ideas and innovation company that's been named by Gartner & Forrester as one of the world's leading experience design and innovation agencies, which probably makes sense, uh, at least in part, as to why you've moved recently from CPO into the Chief Creative and Innovation Officer. Welcome to the pod, Ben.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Uh, we're excited to have you here. Um, so one of the things that we talked about when we were first getting started on what was our story going to be and what were we going to focus on, you told about a, uh, a pretty pivotal point in Primer AI's um, history. I would love to start with that. There was a dark and stormy night. And what was happening <laughs> in, in the Primer world?
0: Well, it wasn't the Primer world. Um, it was the world it was um covid had hit um so i was about a year into my tenure i was living in san francisco i had to come back from san francisco back to the uk as everything was shutting down and um yeah covid had hit and hit everyone hit everyone really pretty hard so as we all know today and so we had as all organizations had we had a decision to make we had a number of decisions to make about what we would do with our organization we were series b uh funded at the time and we have obviously all organizations in that space have a have a run uh runway to go with finance and so forth and so limited time limited budgets and you know don't get me wrong we were well funded but we had a decision to make about would we hunker down and you know kind of weather the storm or would we kind of take a different strategy Um, and you know you've got the lives you know, the, the the livelihoods of people and their families kind of to to, to 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 make sure that they're safe and they're okay. And so it was the first time in my whole career, and I think nearly everyone's career, to be honest with you, these type of stark, really massive decisions about what we're going to do with the company. Were we going to go for Series C as planned in, in the time window that was planned? What would happen to clients and contracts and and license deals that were all lined up ready to go with some very large government agencies and commercial organizations what happens to those and you're kind of in many ways there's an element of guessing what's going to happen in the future so we had not just one night but a series of nights and i say nights it was daytime for them (laughs) there was more of them than there was me so i had to Join late into the evenings, you know, one, two, three in the morning sometimes, and making sure that we spend as much time to, together to share our respective opinions, to truly soul, sh- soul search, and collaborate, and and truly find a, a kind of psychological safety in 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 that room in a virtual world, making some of the biggest decisions in this virtual space, all dialing in remotely. Not being able to share, you know, presentations the way you would normally see and gauge what people are really thinking in that room. And so we made some big decisions at that point. We decided, our decisions were, would we hunker down or would we go and win? And we believed in our team. We believed in the technology. And so we believed in our, our path ahead. And so we took a big decision to go and win and the rest is kind of history because it kind of worked.
1: That's amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit about what's worked. What's happened since that intense series of sessions? And uh, has it worked in the ways that you thought it would, or has it have has uh, ha, have things turned out differently than expected?
0: I don't know what we expected. If I'm really honest, and that sounds really you know, uh, stupid to say, but um, we. We knew we had to go out and win a number of contracts. We knew that our safety zone would most certainly be where our focus has always been and our heart really is, which is government contracts and, and what we do for, for certain agencies, which I'm not going to mention. Um, and we we basically knew that artificial intelligence, machine learning is most certainly the most important, one of the most important technologies which we're gonna we're gonna see in our lifetime if not our children's lifetimes. And there was an investment going hard and fast into that space. How did you understand the world when you're remote? How do you understand that world when COVID has closed every border? And so it was it was kind of like there was a, a commitment um, from them that they would be spending in this space. And so that worked. We went out and won certain contracts and license deals on our products and services, which allowed us to, to, to win revenue. And The revenue um, target we had as we went into Series C, we hit, um, which, you know, when I think we trebled our revenues for that year um, from year on year. And so, you know, that was a pretty good uh, goal to score. And that was a fundamental kind of team decision. We were able to save jobs. We were able to grow from about 60, 70, whatever, 80 we were, were then, I can't remember, but now living in the kind of 170, 180 people just over a year later. Um, and we were able to gain that Series C with some wonderful investors. And so, yeah, um, it's a it's pretty special uh, space to be.
1: Absolutely. Congratulations. I mean, tripling your revenue, especially in a global pandemic, when everything is changing is, you know, beyond beyond impressive. So you guys must be really proud of that.
0: We're really proud. We're really proud of not just the exec team, in fact, you know, more importantly and the most important thing, proud of the team and the people that we've hired and the leap of faith that they've had to take, right? They've had to take a leap of faith as well to join an organization in the middle of COVID as we were growing and scaling. Um you know that's a that's a fundamental leap of faith where you've gone out of your comfort zone and Put yourself into this new zone in a new company not knowing people um so yeah it was we, we were we we're really chuffed i think you've got to be really proud of the ceo as well um because that's a big decision to make as a ceo because the end of the day it sits with him um this is his company his idea you know his dream just as much as it becomes our dream as well but to actually make that decision and go and win when everyone else was rescinding and, and you know, and, um, doing what they had to do. So yeah, it was, we're pretty chuffed.
1: Absolutely. Did you uh, learn anything from this that will impact how you handle future crises? Um,
0: I think it's the same as everything really, if I'm honest, I think it's about, I learned that I could listen more than I ever thought I could listen. And I think that's the most important part. There was a project years ago called Project Aristotle by in Google, and I've always referenced it in presentations in past, but it became so important as a, as a thing for me to know, which was that concept of active listening and an equal share of voice around the table. And if you have those two ingredients, you have a very successful team. And because it creates one thing, which is that psychological safety I referenced a minute ago. Uh, yeah, that for me was I learned more about myself because I truly had to truly listen because it was so heartfelt from every you know, executive around the table. This wasn't just a bis- business decision. This wasn't a strategic decision. This was a heartfelt decision. This was an emotional decision as well. And so. You know, um, yeah, I learned to listen more. And I think if you went into any crisis going forward, it truly is about listening. I also think that you can't make a decision, a big decision, just on the win. And we have navigated that beautifully well through various different execs, bringing kind of a, a real good cadence of agenda. And that allowed us to kind of deliberate, um, ingest, deliberate, and then sort of rest on it just for the next day until into the next day. And those kind of processing this biggest decision with the skills of listening and just calm thought are the most important things, you know. Like, you can't really go crazy if the ship's sinking, you know. You can't go crazy, run around, say, the ship's sinking, the ship's sinking, because it's going to sink, right? So you've got to kind of go about it in a calm way because it's not going to get you anyway, anywhere. So, yeah, I don't think that really is the a, a most Amazing answer. But that is the true answer, which is, if you just listen, which not many people do in this day and age, then you can make wonderful decisions.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think there is something uh, fairly poignant in that, which is when the crisis hits, cool heads will prevail and cool heads can listen. They can listen better right and listening never goes out of style so uh i, I get that and i think it's good advice for our listeners to hear yeah. that so, the, the last,
0: i suppose i'll add one piece of that i think that now it is about at the end of the day it comes down to your to your internal voice listening to your internal voice is just as important as well at the end of the day when you're making a decision as big as that for the future of the company so yeah i think everyone's really did Take all the data in, and at the end of the day they had to listen to their internal voices. And then the unity between the team, I think was a special takeout for us all. You know, you you weathered the storm, you had the rough moments. And um, you know, I think that on its own was something that we'll all take away from that, those, those few days.
1: Absolutely. I love it. It's a nice segue into actually kind of the concept of listening and taking in this feedback and refining um, to actually think a little bit about Primer's history, right, and where you guys started, how you started, um, how you got to the place that you are today. Uh, you know, you, you described it when we were talking about the journey from science to engineering to product to scale. Tell us a, a bit about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there at the very early stages uh, when it was incepted, um, you know, there was, a, there was an intractable problem, which was basically natural language processing. Could you get machines, as they were starting to understand images, uh, could you get machines to truly understand words in a way that truly understood them? So it wasn't just ingesting and extracting and so forth. It was actually un- that, that, uh, the intractable problem of understanding and becoming, you know, human level precision in that sense. And that was a problem that, that, that was posted in different scientific papers in terms of potential ways forward. And so, you know, with many deep learning, sorry, deep tech organizations, deep tech is really sat in the, in the, in the realm of science in many ways. And natural language processes still sits in that deep tech world in, in, in many ways. It's still, we're on our journey to solve it and a lot of these other elements do sit in scientific papers you know a lot of the breakthroughs sit in in archive and pubmed and so forth and so what we have here uh, in the early stages was truly taking some of those papers and experimenting with those do those theories of others and our own allow us to 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 to, to take a step forward and if that step forward was big enough then could we take another small step? And so that's really how the, the company evolved. It went from science and it proved that the science potentially could work, the theories out there could work. But most importantly, those theories allowed our primates, the people who work at Prima, and Sean, especially in the founding members, to actually bounce off those and create more thinking, right? If you have a certain set of information, then you can... More often than not, with great minds, you bounce further ahead or in tangential spaces, which will take you even further ahead. You kind of leapfrog the leapfroggers, as it were. And so they did that. They worked on the science, and they started to show that they could get machines to, to read and understand and produce text, too. So um, but that was, wasn't good enough. And then it moved from into the space of, if we've done that, Well, we actually have to make a product of some type. We have to engineer something to truly show that it can work uh, and put this into clients, early stage clients that we had at the time. And so there was an element of engineering around that. Could we make these kind of algorithmic breakthroughs actually engineered into code that could actually scale thereafter? But most importantly, that's the last part of the journey. It's really about you know, building products. And that's where we are today. It's taking all of the kind of breakthroughs that have happened and showing that it can do something, Engineer it to the point where people can access it and play with it, but then truly understanding how we can get a product which can scale with our clients and have a roadmap which adds value and solves a wider problem, just a single scientific problem. That's where... We were just a few years ago and continue to be that way because no product is ever finished, as we, as we both know. Um, and I think that's um, what we've got to do. We've got to move into less big steps, big increment steps, like, sort of big changes, and move into more incremental changes because I think it's always well known that humans and the knowledge workers of the future, we don't take massive changes that well. You know, we, we can't often reject them. Um, there was a product called the Apple Newton, and it was the first PDA application from Apple. And it was like, this is going to change the world. But it was just too big a change for people to really go with. And so it was a failed deemed to be a failed product at the time. Now look, many years later, and they have the iPhone because everyone else had made those incremental changes. And so where we are is making sure we get a wonderful balance between the product um, and the, so the big steps that you need to make to keep ahead of the competition, the big steps required to take science into product, or into, into, into engineering and then into product. Um, and we need to make sure that this is all wrapped up with the problems that we solve for our clients in a way that gives them an incremental, un- easily understood product roadmap. And I think that's where we are today because we we're still going to make those big breakthroughs. There's no doubt about that. And that's the only way that large organisations, any organisations quite often can survive in this dog-eat-dog world. But, yeah, it's an exciting journey. But Prime has now made the transition between these scientific kind of ideas into engineering and into three scalable products that we have today which help the analysts understand rea- reams and reams of information they could never understood uh, they can never understand and get up to speed we should i say um, without machines these days
1: so one of the things that i suppose would be very interesting for you guys at primer is that you know you said you have commercial clients absolutely right Fortune 50 customers, but you also work with these agencies that uh, shall not be named, um, but they're government agencies. And I would imagine that getting feedback from them is a little bit different than getting feedback from a commercial customer. Um, so as you have kind of narrowed in on these three products, uh, you know, how do you refine and make those incremental improvements when maybe you're not as, I guess, not it's not as easy to talk to some of those customers?
0: Those because this is a podcast, I'm laughing, smiling and stretching quite awkwardly right now. (laughs) Um, You know, it's hard. There's no doubt. When I joined Primer, my expectation was kind of a truly human-centered design process, of which we do have. But this kind of idealistic world, which really, um, you, you can't always have that contact with government clients you know there's security clearance to be had there's even with the defense clients that we have it's the same right so little british ben you know sitting in an organization in america serving say american agencies as well you know you go you can't just rock up and sort of get The way that I would have often done feedback was to sit down, interview, get to know them on a personal level, just as much as using process to get there. You know, the the standard kind of what are your pains and what are your gains and give me and look at the dog fooding of the product and see how they utilize it. None of that really happens. You can't even get some of the data that you'd expect in kind of a, a SaaS product to see how they are, what are they clicking, what sort of queries are, there, are people running and so forth. You just, you don't get that utilization um, set of numbers. So how can you ever really know that you're building the right thing? Well, we do still have a way of getting information. We do have people who are cleared. Um, they're not all the product managers um, in the product team, um, but they are people and we will utilize any which way, but how to make sure that we're listening to those clients on a regular basis Um, obviously we can't see what they would normally query and even if we could on the other side of the fence we can't share that information back out you know when you make a a code change in some ways you have to write on a piece of paper and take it back out and then rewrite that piece of code back into into the kind of the main um, code base back at primer if that was done on the site so we do what we have is a lot of people who work in those preview in in their previous life in those positions so they know how these people operate how they um, what they need what type of queries and things that they are watching uh, around the world to be able to understand and make sure that the head of some of the uh, the people that they need to be ahead of and so there is this brilliant way of extending the client's mindset into the uh, primer kind of organization by kind of pseudo clients and pseudo users is not ideal because you still don't get that heartbeat, that kind of that adrenaline need and uh, of the pain that they are facing on a daily basis. At the same time, it's a, a very close second best. And so that is one of the most important things that we have is people who we've hired who have lived in these positions and lived those lives and, 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 and worked in those spaces And they know it inside and out. And if they don't know it themselves, they can always ask someone else and and potentially get the right information via the right channels. Um, So, yeah, we still can get the, we can still look through the eyes of the user, but in a slightly different way. the other way we do it is we push out our products in a way that we do have hosted spaces, and so our products would live on prem, right? They live on their on their servers. They we can never see them once they're deployed, and which is the right thing, obviously, for national security and wider. But we do still have hosted products which we can show prototypical implementations and get feedback again through, via those different routes in a way um, that is uh, very useful. That said, the commercial users, in many ways, everyone's an analyst in this day and age especially in the commercial space, in the dog-eat-dog world of tr- keeping ahead in the world of finance and capital gains and, and working markets and so forth. You, managing portfolios and risks within that potentially of some of our clients, that which is what they do. It's exactly the same, right? They still have that heartbeat. They still have to get up in the morning and make sure that the markets haven't moved overnight. They need to be up to speed as quickly as they possibly can from the information sources that they have access to. But in a normal world, it would take them hours. Whereas with our products and utilizing natural language processing, they they get ahead very quickly in a quick summary summary of their world. And so in many ways, their heart works in the same way, their head works in the same way. And they're just looking at a different data source through a different set of lenses. Uh, And so their value to us is just as important as the commercial and national security um, clients and users when it comes to truly getting wonderful feedback.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'm curious about the fact that you've recently uh, moved from CPO into CCIO. Um, and I would love to know you know, how that made sense both for you personally, but also for primary AI right? and the evolution that your, your business is going uh, through. So walk us through that.
0: Uh, yeah, so I think everyone blames COVID for everything, um, so I'm going to blame COVID. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the truth is is that moving back here, um, is, it, it becomes a near impossible task, where it became a near impossible task. When you've got most of the team working over in the west coast of America, then it's really... Um, uh, important to be connected to that in a, in, a, in the time zone if i'm really honest the, from my point of view and i think everyone listening if they're in product the product officer the most senior person in product is the transition point the gateway to nearly everything in many ways for right or for wrong you know at least they have to be part of every conversation so they're always informed and what was happening is i was working till whatever time it was in the evening I wasn't seeing my kids, I wasn't seeing my family, I was literally just seeing primer, which is you know a commitment. At the same time, when I went to bed, that continued to carry on. All those conversations continued to happen over on the West Coast, as they should do, right? And so I'm always I always felt as I was catching up. And so we had a conversation. I said, look, I think this is and there's a different way forward than this where I can still be part of bringing my head and my heart and my experience to the organisation, but in a slightly disconnected way, which allows us to continue to really drive the divergent thinking that we always would need, but in a slightly different role where I don't have my my hands on the drums every single day playing the beat of the organisation, because that way I can be separate from the organisation slightly, allow us to focus on slightly different things and push our products and services into... Different spaces uh, potentially, um, which entertain people's minds in a different way, and really push natural language processing into different industries, different clients, different scenarios, solving different problems. So it was a shame to have to move out of the role, but at the same time, it is the most intense role. If everyone's thinking, of it, if anyone's thinking of doing it, you know, think hard because um, it's a brilliant role of any organization at the same time you know there is so many things you have to have operating at any point in time you have to constantly be listening you have to be um constantly connected and so it was it's most certainly um a wonderful part still to be part of primer but it was no doubt unsustainable in primer or any org when you're sitting in a different time zone pretty much from anyone else
1: Absolutely. I I think uh, one of the things that I've spoken with another guest recently about is commercialization and the role of that in product and how that is a rising kind of area of expertise um, that people are being expected to have. Uh, when you say, you know, kind of pushing your products and services into more spaces, it sounds like, you know, that's going to be a large focus of, uh, of what you do. What else do you think, you know, will define your success? And I ask this not because I'm curious about what you're on the hook for, but for people who hear about moving from a CPO role into um, a creative, right, or innovation role, you know, how does a, how does a product mind, drive value in a different way? Help us understand that.
0: Well, I mean, in many ways, the first part is support of the organization, right? So when you've got your head down in product, well, you're listening to, you know, what's quite often in front of you right here and now, especially in a startup where your your ability to think, you know, one year ahead is a luxury, um, but we should always be thinking a lot much further ahead. And so my role is to partner with the product officer the svp of prod in a way which helps him and the team think divergently and i think that's really important if we always have a if we navel gaze and we look down at what our roadmaps are and what our clients are always asking for that is so important at the same time i've always believed that divergent thinking is the most important type of thinking And if it's forgotten about, you end up just kind of working, you know, walking on a treadmill and just not getting that far ahead. You'll only be behind any one of your existing uh, competitors, and the other competitors will probably catch up with you quicker than you realize. So um, I think supportive uh, supportive role is really important. And so, as an example, we'll run a set of product innovation sessions, which I will set up and run, which will drive people toward. A new way of thinking through, um, as I say, divergent mechanisms. I think a bit abstractly as well. So that doesn't always help, but it always helps independent teams. And so when people teams get stuck, I will come in and help them with um, a way, a different way of thinking. So we're working on something called structured search. Um really pushing that. We have structured search in our product today, but we really want to push the concept of what structure really means on the unstructured world. Just what does that mean in, in snapshot? It means that if we can categorize and we can classify different things across the world in corpuses of unstructured information. Then what that allows us to do, we can use that structure to kind of get answers. And so we can say, give me all the quotes from certain people um, where product launches are mentioned um, in China. And all of a sudden you can ask this whole corpus of information these incredibly powerful questions. And those questions will only ever get more and more richer as we apply more structure to this world of unstructured information. It's an incredible way of thinking about um, how the world will be navigated in the future. And so really thinking about how we create the interfaces and how we create the experience for the end user, which really, if you asked anyone, well, how do you do structured search? They'd be like, "Mm, I don't know you can do that. I don't know what you mean. And so it's really kind of taken us a leap forward, I, I would hope. And we're in a really, really exciting space when we kind of launch this, uh, the way that we'll navigate that data in the future. So that's one part. In terms of the commercialization story, you know, my my role is to experiment and to create sort of like small experiments, which entertain minds, which kind of create um, hopefully the a marketing moment of, PR moment, but most importantly, uh, a commercial opportunity. At the end of that. Otherwise, we're just doing um, whimsical kind of um, hacks, which I, I don't really believe in. I don't believe in in in, in um, things which don't have tenure. I don't believe in things that don't really have promise. And so, um, my job is to kind of work out how we can take some of our technology, and create unique experiences which show natural language processing in a different light to different industries. And so I can't say what I'm working on at the moment, but it's pretty exciting in terms of where this could go. I'll give you one where I really want to go and now's not the time, but that's in education. Um, you know, we've created a, a calculator for numbers to help us understand numbers and, um, That's amazing, you know, we created the abacus first and then we created a calculator. And so we kind of cheat numbers. And yet we haven't got a way of understanding millions and millions and billions and trillions of words being thrown out every day, week, month, year. And so what is that calculator for words for people in that space for education? How can we allow people to kind of get a quick um, shortcut to the answers they need so they can actually use the most innate the most innate um, skill that we have as humans, which is curiosity and creativity. And yet we don't get to do it because we're information overloaded in every single way. So I would love to be able to take natural language processing to that educational space as well. This isn't on our roadmap. This isn't something which we'll, you know, is core focus to Primer right here, right now. But that is one of the reasons I joined Prime in the first place. And if in this new role that we can do that and move into that space, you can really not only keep the country, the world safe when we work for the clients that we do, but we can democratize that technology and we can take it to the rest of the world and help people like small children change the education system so that we can create brilliant little people into better brilliant little uh, bigger people and I think that would be a wonderful thing to to leave a legacy on the on the planet for
1: yeah couldn't agree more where do you where do you guys look for inspiration um at primary I mean you're in such an interesting space right because your product is not defined to one category right your product can touch multiple categories so how do you guys stay inspired um or is that not even an issue is it about (laughs) tamping down on that inspiration yeah
0: that's the problem right I mean in many ways when you've got the keys to a kingdom and you've got these tools and these algorithms which can do so much you can potentially do everything and this is a number one rule in in products right is kind of and in many ways it was one of the things that I got frustrated about myself in product was that we could do so much. And I became not the ideas person of which I was always kind of Mr. Creative in my previous roles. And you know, even I was a technologist, I was deemed to be the creative one as well and always come up with ideas and new thoughts. And I was like, in, my, in the, my previous life at Prime, I was quite often saying, yeah, yeah, no, but no, we've just got to focus on our roadmaps and deliver the value that we need for our customers, et cetera, et cetera. Because we have these incredibly powerful engines which can be applied to nearly any industry um and uh and you know vertical and i think that's quite exciting that you can get inspiration and ideas from everywhere because the problem is ideas are as we know quite often easy so do we need more inspiration uh, maybe not do lots of product companies out there need uh one thing, probably more than anything, which is focus, I think everyone needs that. Um, so but where do we get inspired from, we get inspired from our competition, we get inspired by the small boys, we get inspired by the the, the big ones, uh, and the big companies around us, we get inspired by um, papers and scientific breakthroughs, which you see in the various different pa- um, papers, which are being deployed today. And then we get inspired by the problem, the problem domain is only ever going to get worse. You know, if you just take the world, the world of disinformation, we have the ability to identify disinformation. Um, I think there's no more important thing than, than getting to the, allowing humans to be closer to the truth than we are currently today. And so we, I think that on its own, we're inspired by the problem every single day because if we don't, if our algorithms don't work well enough, if they're not precise enough, or it doesn't recall enough information, um, if the experience doesn't work and it's tiresome and they can't inject that into their workflows on a daily basis, then it doesn't matter how powerful our algorithms are. Um, you know, people are going um, um, to bad things potentially happen. Uh, markets could fail in the commercial sector for example or brands could potentially lose their reputations and so you're kind of inspired by the problem domain and I say that really comes down to an even higher level kind of goal which is imagine when humanity could actually get really close to truth Um, and that's an inspirational thing to to always have in your um, in your mind when you wake up out of bed. I
1: love it. Okay, we've come to that time in the show where I asked my favorite question. Um, so Ben, if there was a museum that we could go to that highlights the most important products in the world, they don't have to necessarily have been the most successful. Um, what would you say should be in that museum and why?
0: Um, right now, a webcam, <laughs> because we all need webcams. So in many ways it's kept keep the world connected, but I won't put that in there. Um, One of my favorite products is the iPhone 3GS. I don't know if you remember it. Um, I'm gonna put it in there with the same TX2 pen because they were both designed by um, Johnny Ive. And they're both piece of hardware. Why? Well, the 3GS, for me, it captured everything about what piece of hardware and the software should do together. The heart, if you remember rightly, the phone was really soft in your hand and you'd spin it in your hand and twist it and the back was rounded and it was it was designed to be potentially scratched because the mentality was and the psychology was is that it became yours if it was scratched. Now, I don't know whether that was a product defect or not, but it sound, kind of sounded plausible. And so you always had your phone in your hand. You couldn't take it out of your hand when you were in a meeting. It was bizarre. It slid in your pocket perfectly. So the hardware design itself, I'm not going to go to the Gorilla Glass and all the things that came through. Just that as a form factor was amazing. You played with it. It's just like the TX2 pen, which was designed many, many years ago by Johnny Ive. It had this spin. It realized that a pen should have things which you play with and spin spin with. Uh, You spin at the top. And I think that was um, a wonderful, genius piece of kind of, how a pen? If you're going to redesign a pen, how that should be done. So there's that. But going back to the, the from a hardware point, if you go back to the software, the other thing that the iPhone 3GS brought in was that in many ways the actual phone software itself was pretty pants. Um, it would drop a call. It would uh, you know, there would be many failures in the, in their software, but it had wonderful little design interactions within it. So when you took the um, the lock off, you slid the arrow to the side, if you remember, you slid the arrow to the side and the beautiful keypad just twisted up and down, like rotated up and down. And whomever thought about that experience, because it delighted you each time you did it, and it made that kind of unlock clunk noise as you did it, um, was a genius. Because it allowed you with a form factor in the software to forgive the fact that the next action might be a failed phone call. So for me, I'd put those two in there. And then what else am I going to go for? Do I, How many do I get? One more?
1: You can have one more.
0: I'm going to choose um, the car stereo. Honestly, I think the car stereo, imagine your car... without music
1: i don't mean what's
0: going on i mean you just (laughs) so it doesn't matter how iconic i could put in google i could put in spotify i could put in peloton i could put in whomever right i could even put in that whiteboard paper which you stick on the wall with anti-static which is super cool right so whoever whoever hasn't seen that you should go and google it because it's just a piece of genius whomever thought about using static electricity to stick it to a wall genius but honestly the car stereo has got to be one of the most iconic moments it unifies family when they're on long journeys to really crap destinations the other end it you know it allows you to sing along when you're having a bad day it motivates you in different ways it kind of gives you the news it's just like this magical device that people have overlooked all this time so yeah that's my two
1: I love a good throwback that reminds us of how good we have it. Uh, uh, it's so easy to focus on all these new digital products, but I completely agree with Sorry, you. Yeah, I should
0: have yeah, I should have put Primer in there.
1: Primer, no, no, hey, no. no, you go with your heart here. This is good. We answered <laughs> honestly. This is perfect. Um, ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you here, and uh, we look forward to following along with the, the Primer AI journey and seeing you guys continue to succeed.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.